Hello and welcome to the Wizards of Drivel podcast. In the absence of Chris, Ben and any meaningful football to talk about this weekend, we've done something a bit different for this episode. Joining me are David Lee and John McKenzie. David Lee is the author of Triffic, a biography of Tony Pulis, and 41 Shades of Grey, The Tweet Life of Stoke City, which takes a look at last season through the lens of Twitter. John is a freelance journalist and podcaster who presents the Team of John O'Shea's podcast. This summer, John, a Leeds fan, interviewed fans of all 20 Premier League teams to gain a unique insight into the clubs of the top flight. Joining me to discuss the manifold issues of football fandom, is there a right way to support a club? Has social media been good for football discussion? What do Stoke fans want from Stoke City? And how will the nature of supporting our team change in the future? As I say, this is something a bit different for us. So please give us your honest feedback on our Facebook or Twitter pages and let us know if you'd like to hear more discussions like this. As always, five-star iTunes reviews and shout-outs on social media mean a great deal to us. So if you do enjoy it, please let everyone know. Go on, Stoke. Guys, welcome to the podcast. Great to be here. Thanks, Thanks for having me on. Um, unfortunately, it's the international break, which means I've had probably a bit too much time to think about this episode. So <laughs> rather than moan about Joe Hart being the England goalkeeper or just worry about injuries, we're going to have a general conversation about kind of the nature of being a football fan. So I thought you were going to I thought you were going to say, you know, because it's the uh, international week, I've had far too much to drink, you know, which is we should just get wrecked and not have to worry about football because it's it's not real. They're going to play Joe Hart, they're not going to play Jack Butland, etc, etc. Oh, I've gone off on one of my rants already. I do apologize. <laughs> I think Gareth Southgate might have had a bit to drink before making that decision maybe. So. Uh, hmm. Um We'll start with you then, David. Uh, 41 Shades of Grey is a look at last season through the lens of Twitter. Yeah. How do you th- how do you think uh, Twitter has changed the way we talk about football? Uh, well, it, it's it, usually, I mean, when people have sort of like um, knee-jerk reactions to games and this sort of thing, they kind of keep it, either, I'll just say it to their neighbour, you know, or to the, you know, it's what happened, used to happen in the old days on, on the terraces. You used to shout it or, or, or go and moan about it at the pub or something like this. But now anything that anybody says not just goes out to a whole lot of people, but stays there as well. So you can go back and sort of like see what they said. So, you know, if they sort of said last week or several weeks ago, oh, Mark Hughes, greatest manager in the world. And then today, I've always said he should go, you know, it comes back to haunt you. It's there. It's, you can't, you, you have to go in and sort of delete it. And I've been finding that with a lot of people, including um, some people on this podcast, maybe. Oh, definitely. <laughs> I, I I make no uh, no apologies for being a hypocrite. Um, well, that's, 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 that is it. That's, that's Twitter. Twitter makes us makes us all hypocrites. I go back through mine and I go, "Oh, I didn't say that. Oh no." And I could I could tell you loads of things, but I'm not going to embarrass myself any more than I have to. Anyway. One of the arguments you get either on Twitter or on forums is like not about the actual kind of football analysis itself, but rather like fans attitudes as a whole you, you're either a happy clapping mark hughes can do no wrong person or you're too negative you're moaning too much um do you think twitter kind of lends itself to like a kind of greater negativity than kind of ordinary football conversation well that's the, that was the thing with the book actually i mean uh, 41 shades of gray and and what we did was we followed uh 20 tweet tweeters through the whole of last season and at times, you know, uh, somebody who you thought, as you were following him, you thought you knew him, would would suddenly say, "Oh God, Mark Hughes, he's doing a really great job," and you and you think, "Well, is he being sarcastic or something like this?" And 
people's people's attitudes and and, and things would, would change so dramatically that you d- you felt you thought at first you knew these people, but then you didn't, you know, and and it, it mm. sort of. It, People's because you, you, you follow if you follow certain regular people, you sort of kind of know what they're going to tweet on the whole. But um, occasionally they come up with something complete. I can't remember what the question was now. <laughs> I thought this is a good chance to plug my book, but uh, no. <laughs> did I mention the book? Yes, I did. Oh, there you are. Mention it again. No, there I'm, you go. David's got a book out. Everyone. Oh um, God, yeah. <laughs> John, I'll, I'll move on to you for a sec. Um, so your summer break series for a team of John O'Shea saw you interview fans from all 20 Premier League clubs. Um, obviously a great listen uh, from my point of view, but were there any kind of general trends you noticed across kind of all the Premier League fan bases? Yeah, I would say the general trend that I mo- most noticed was the idea that fans generally seemed quite disgruntled with the last season that they'd had. Um, and, I actually had, I did a little bit of research into this um, because I was kind of wondering why is that? I mean, everyone, even the Chelsea fans were a little bit disgruntled that they hadn't managed to win the FA Cup. Um, but below but below that, everyone else was disappointed with where they'd finished in the league. And obviously the majority of people actually predicted that they would finish higher this season than they did last season. I did a little bit of research into it and um, I found out that in the last few seasons, the points average for the teams that were from eight finished between 8th and 20th in the Premier League the last few seasons had been slowly increasing so there was more points on offer generally if you were a, if you were a, anyone below the the top 7 we'll call it so 2012-13 the t- points total was 40.08 that's the average points um total for each team next season it increased slightly the season after that was 42.3 season after that which was the season before last season 42.62 and then what we saw in in 2016-17 was a drop for the first time in uh, i think about about five years uh, down to 39.85 so there's fewer points available for those clubs outside of the top seven um and I mean, I didn't. I wanted to do a bit more research. I haven't done enough on this, but I wanted to see whether or not it was correlated to how much clubs in the top seven had spent, because it seems as though the the higher spending that you have directly uh, influences how many points are won by the the clubs, obviously in the in eighth to twentieth position. So yeah, I think the general trend that I noticed was that last season um, was you we were seeing what, what I thought was was maybe an increase in disgruntlement amongst fans, and I think that might be to do with the fact that uh, there is a, a widening gap opening out between the top seven and the clubs below that, which obviously influences you guys because you are uh, a mid-table side. I was going to say, can I ask a question? Because does that sound to me like a uh, a bit of a backlash from the previous season where Leicester came from nowhere and uh, and won and won the league, and then last season it was sort of like a return to the old guard who seemed to sort of double their efforts to sort of say, "Oh, we're not having that. We're not having this interloper in here again." Mm. And so the Man City and the yeah, yeah, and I think what was I think what was interesting about that season was that actually in the summer very few of the top seven clubs spent that much money. I think Manchester United probably spent a fair amount on Manchester City, but apart from that on the levels that we saw this season it was it was next to nothing so I think there is that correlation and I do think you're right I do think that Leicester City won because we had a sort of anomalous season in many respects yeah yeah um obviously we've been in the Premier League for 10 seasons now and we've pretty much defined ourselves as that mid-table team we've been as mid-table as it's possible to get really Uh, speaking to fans of the likes of Southampton 
West Ham, Palace, Swansea. Do you, do you notice any kind of trends in them? Do you think the fans you spoke to from the mid-table sides are are negative? Do you think do you think there's a kind of underlying optimism with them? I think there's underlying optimism because I think fans just aren't necessarily optimistic. You know, no, no one went into the season into this season saying, um, "Oh, we think we're going to go down." I think the, of of the 38 people I interviewed, I think one. There was a Huddersfield fan who said, "I think we'll, f- I think we'll finish in the bottom three, but I don't think we'll finish bottom." That was as negative as it got. Okay, um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I do think that you then obviously you, what you start doing when you're in in that sort of scenario is you start working out what your marginal gains are going to be. So it went from things like a lot of a lot of clubs in the mid table were very disappointed about the fact that they hadn't won games against the top six teams. And I think Chris, when I spoke to you guys, um, was quite disappointed that, that Stoke really hadn't picked up the sort of results that you get two or three of a season and you sort of enjoy those games, you know, where you, where you match one of the top six sides. Beyond that, I think there's a lot of talk of kicking on, whatever that means. Uh, and I tried to come, to, <laughs> well, I we tried to get to the bottom of what clubs mean. Yeah. I tried to get to the bottom of what, what fans mean when they hear about, uh, when they say the phrase kicking on. Um, and it's generally something to do with youth development um, as a as a big thing, being spending maybe a little bit more money. And and another funny thing that I noticed was that everyone has huge amounts of problem with high spending until it comes to their club. So uh, there's all kinds of <laughs> all kind of moral dilemmas going on there um, until it comes to the point where you're offered a decent player from another league for. 20 million and then you're like well obviously it's fine in our case we deserve it we've had a few seasons where we haven't spent the money um, but then the other thing is um, a lot of it is a lot of these ideas are sort of uh, tracked against the idea of going back down into the lower divisions the majority of the clubs that you've mentioned there spent a lot of time in the last 20 years in a lower division and so always there's this um, attempt to sort of make balance things off by saying well you know we may have finished ninth three seasons in a row but at least it's better than being being in the old uh, second division um, mm. for so many seasons as we did. So yeah, I think that's the that's the majority of fans uh, in the mid table clubs aspire towards. That. And obviously, there's differences uh, amongst those clubs. Obviously, Southampton have this almost f- funny g- general um, perception amongst other fans of of being a sort of quite exciting team based around youth development um, so the, the, that was something that I found as well there were differences between the way that perception of clubs um, worked amongst fans of other clubs but also amongst fans themselves the way that they saw their own side and the expectations that they had for, for what that might mean Yeah, th- this idea of uh, kicking on is interesting I'll, I'll perhaps come to you on this David um, I think what a lot of the kind of bitterness and kind of anger you see on Twitter was particularly uh, on uh, when I've seen it among Stoke fans is this idea of kicking on are, are we doing all we should do to kick on to whatever the next level of Stoke is uh, first of all I, I'm interested in what would kicking on uh, be <laughs> in your opinion what what would Stoke need to do to to reach the next level and what is the next yeah, level or pushing on as uh, was it pushing on is that what uh, Pulis used to say you know says, yeah, we're, we'll get 40 points and push on or, 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 or whatever it is but yeah uh, this is th- there was a big argument of course uh, uh, recently I think it was after the Everton game particularly uh, on, on the radio about um, Mark Hughes and sort of saying you know well, has he gone as far as he should 
and uh, as he could, you know, and this sort of thing. And, and a lot of supporters were sort of saying, yeah, it's time to get rid of him. And um, people like Robbie Savage were sticking up for him, sort of saying, well, what do you expect? You know, you're a mid-table Premier League team. You know, what else is there? You know, sort of attitude. And, and you know, you want a manager who does this. And the, the, the point that he seemed to miss was that um, Mark Hughes was brought in, as Peter Coates said, to take Stokes to the next level. That's what he said, you know. So he did take us to what we felt was the next level. First of all, top top half finishes in, in the league, you know. Uh, greater performances uh, against the likes of Chelsea and, and the like. Um, and uh, a, a three ninth place finishes really did sort of like um, mean that we had moved on, pushed on, whatever you want to call it, you know, from, from the old days. So subsequently, uh, it was very difficult to criticise. And then people say, well, what are you criticising about last season? Well, last season and probably the last 18 months, performances, transfers and, of course, final finishes had deteriorated. And those were the three things that had been focused on right on day one when he was hired, Mark Hughes. And subsequently, uh, Stoke fans felt justified in being able to sort of say, well, you know, those if, if that's what you're judging the manager on, which is what you judged the previous manager on and then got rid of him, uh, does that still apply to Mark Hughes? In which case he should go. Now I'm not saying I'm not saying personally that he should go on the on that criteria, but uh, that's that's the argument um, that that uh, you know. And, and as you say, what is moving on? Or ninth? If you've got ninth place in three seasons in a row, you, you've you've made it made it difficult for yourself. And I think Mark Hughes says so this to himself. You know, I've I've sort of like you know made it difficult for myself because I've got to then do better than that. I've got to finish in eighth, or go for Europa League, or or get to a semi-final or final of a of a of a competition, a major competition, not just check a trade, you know. So uh, yeah, yeah, the, there isn't that many places, but a certainly attractive football is, is is one thing. And last season, I could probably say was was one of our weakest when it came to attractive football, and conceding goals and, and overall performances. So I think people ha- in Stoke particularly had a, had a lot to to moan about. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think it is clear where he's got to go. But it, it's got to be a consistency across across the board. Mid table and going out in the fourth round of the cup is is not going to be quite good enough anymore. If I could jump in here, um, I just think it's interesting. Arsenal was the classic example of of teams to talk about when talking about kicking on. Uh, and the big argument amongst Arsenal fans is always, "Oh well, it's harder for us." You wouldn't understand because we have the capacity to go so much further than we actually ever hit. We have the capacity to go, to go beyond. But I think that's a fairly good way of looking at, at kicking on. I think you have to, there has to be a relative amount of um, pragmatism by fans. And if you get to the end of the season and you feel as though the club could have done more and the manager could have done more, the players could have done more, then I think that's when you have to start asking questions about kicking on. I think often there's, there's a sort of just an arbitrary list to it. People think, well, we've got this amount of points this season. We should aim for this next season. But obviously it doesn't take into account everything that happens. I think it, have, it has to be based on this idea of kicking on. Could we have done more? Uh, and if not, that's where the conversation begins. Yeah, certainly on this uh podcast we've found that um actual league position last season this is talking about last season we we didn't really find ourselves too concerned about that what what we did find was sort of the week-to-week performances we felt that the team had it within it to be so much more convincing than it was Mm. so whether we finished ninth or 13th wasn't really the issue um and we've also found that uh episodes of the podcast where we're negative will get a much bigger <laughs> um, 
kind of feedback, uh, negative feedback, than positive episodes because I think fans like just just like hearing positive things about their club. And yeah. th- there's obviously an extent to which you can go too negative. Um, David, do you do you think that either an attitude that is perhaps too positive or too negative could like harm the club itself? Obviously, social media isn't isn't the terraces where you can kind of you can kind of tell sometimes from the like an attitude from the terraces can affect the players. But do you think kind of online chatter, the media, social media, all all that stuff can kind of negatively impact the club? I think so. I think what what was interesting is is that Mark Hughes seems to have uh, believed that uh, there's been a, a real negativity in the last couple of months. And he seems to be fighting this negativity. And I, I haven't seen any real difference between the beginning of last season and the beginning of this season. People were uh, fairly sceptical at the beginning of last season. And you could see from the, the tweets in the book, you know, that uh, people were unclear about where Hughes was going. We were lucky to have finished ninth that season, the, pre- the previous season. Um, we weren't sure who we were going to be signing, you know, and uh, they were sort of saying, well, are we going to sign anybody and all this sort of thing. Um, and... Um, but we and of course we had a terrible start to last season as well, which didn't help. So there was a lot of negativity going around this season. He seems to think that the negativity is is even more so, or, or whatever it is, and uh, he's been sort of fighting that. And uh, but then again, he has actually finally started listening to some of the things that people have been saying. So you know, in some ways, yes, if there is a sort of like a, a, a lot of negativity, maybe he's actually sort of coming to his senses and actually sort of listening. One of the things, most important things, and I've been carping on about this for years is that we need uh, a good uh, uh, squad of defenders. I sound like, you know, I don't know if you watch American football or something like this, and they sort of like really do concentrate on defence and attack and all this sort of thing, you know. Well, it's, it's, it, I remember last this time last season, was it um, Mark Wilson made some remark on Twitter and sort of said, oh, you know, Stoke haven't, haven't done any practising for, for defence, and they didn't like that, and they got rid of him. He went to Bournemouth. Was that this time last season? It was, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. And, yeah, uh, he'd kind of gone up, gone a bit uh, rogue on Twitter yeah. and just started calling out individual fans. Yeah, but uh, he, he, he had a point, and I think I, I did actually get. I mean, I go to the pre-match uh, interviews, and I, I asked uh, Mark Bowen about about this, and he says, "Well, he's entitled to his view." And I think after that, we went through a whole lot of uh, pretty poor four 0 defeats and this sort of thing. And I thought, well, mm. you know, you, Mark Hughes, Mark Bowen may think that Mark, Mark Wilson is entitled to his view, but in fact, Mark Wilson seems to have got a good point. This season, he, they finally listened, got in some uh, good defenders. Uh, I mean, Bruno Zindi did come in last season, it's true, but there was no backup for him. If there was no any injury, you know, it really was a matter of playing somebody out of position. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? You know, and um, yeah. and and that wasn't really what we need. Now we look, we seem to have got um, like four central defenders. If he's going to play five at the back, he's going to uh, three three in particular at central defence. He's going to need that. So in some ways, I think you know, with Stoke at least, because we're a more stable club, and we're probably going to be talking a bit about this about the difference between Stoke and other clubs. I think we're a more stable club, and we do hang on to our manager just a bit more than these other clubs. Crystal Palace being an obvious example, you know. Um, or even Southampton for that matter you know uh, goodness knows what's happening there uh, we, we have a chance to actually sort of listen and be more thoughtful about uh, these things and do something about it or the club do something about uh, some of these issues uh, well that was my very next question to you it was sort of in comparison with other clubs I mean taking aside uh, on the pitch performance because we're never going to be uh, as good as you know you can list 
all the teams you like there. Um, do we as Stoke fans have it better than other clubs in terms of how we're treated as fans? You, th- you think about the local chairman we've got. We've had se- season ticket fr- prices frozen since we came into the Premier League. Free away travel. Do you think we, we rank highly in terms of looking after our fans? Yeah, I think we do. I think there's still things that we can uh, do. I think that, uh, that uh, it, it, it's, again, going back to listening to fans. And that's what's made social social media quite um, interesting, is that uh, if something that is said on social media, it's possible it would be completely forgotten. But it's also possible to go the other way and it could snowball uh, against the club. So I think that, uh, that they have a set of people actually at, in the media centre at at. Stoke City, who do follow what people say, and um, they, they obviously can't. They don't. They aren't decision makers. But occasionally, when things are getting a little bit heated on on social media, I'm quite convinced the club, you know, through these 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 media officers, do report back to the the senior media officer and therefore to the chief executive and sort of say, look, the fans are saying this and they are concerned about that, whatever it is, uh, and whether they they will do something about it. Again, you know, it's got to go through so many layers. So I think there is we are they are a listening um, club more than other clubs. We have a, we do have a setup mm. that I think is is much better um, behind the scenes, as well as the things you, you've mentioned about uh, away away support and um, and season cricket season t- <laughs> season ticket prices. Try saying that quickly. Season ticket prices, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I I certainly think the kind of we talked about how negativity might negativity on social media might kind of negatively impact the club and stuff, but also it kind of might prompt uh, like a, a more open discussion. I, I'm thinking about in particular Tony Scholes and Peter Coates appearing with the fans at St. Pauli and like having a beer with them. That came off the back of a lot of negativity about our lack of transfer activity. So I, I wonder if like kind of things like that play into decisions which. Uh, on the face of them, are very how good. Staged, how um, staged do you think that was? I mean, you compare that to sort of some of the... I and mean, we've had a lot of politics going on in the world. Uh, you know, mm. we've had a, a general election and this sort of thing. And some of the things you see... I saw in the last election, I thought, well, that's been staged and thought through. And you've actually had people from, you know, looking at social media and going, what we need is a politician to go here. We'll say that's and do this and this sort of thing. And that's, you know, in politics, I can understand. But do you think that was sort of staged because of that? You know, was, was there sort of a, um, a, a consorted effort... Do you think? Mm. I mean, I, I'm not I'd, sure. I'd, I'd, I'm not. I'm not sure. It, it might, it's like totally direct. It, I'm just kind of speculating, really. Yeah. I mean, Tony Scholes does strike me as a bit Tony Blair esque. He he didn't really <laughs> look totally comfortable <laughs> having a beer, but we're kind of glad he appeared there. Yeah. Um, John, um, you you spoke to sort of fan media types, if you like, when you're doing the podcast series. So you had people who did football podcasts. Uh, kind of YouTube channels, fanzines, that kind of thing. Mm. Do you see the p- proliferation of these podcasts, YouTube channels, etc., as a good thing for football media as a whole? Yeah, I mean, I would say yes and no to in answer to this question. Um, f- sorry to, for being on the fence, but obviously the ease with which podcasts can be recorded and videos can be filmed does allow a greater spectrum of fan to get exposure within the media. And I think that is a good thing. There's a lot of people who support clubs who have a lot of good things to say. And I I think that generally, when they're given the chance to do this sort of stuff, the cream rises to the top. The problem is, is that with this proliferation of podcasts and YouTube channels, you 
you do get um, a lot of rubbish as well. Um, but in terms of in terms of the good stuff, yeah, I I, I firmly believe that, and I think we're going to talk about this at some point later on. But I firmly believe that the mainstream media can only do so much, and and that that stuff that they do is always going to be in the top seven generally and they'll cover probably the relegation battles as well but it means that it means that when you're talking about the clubs from between 8th and 17th generally i think the the fan media are much more clued in than 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 and will give a far fairer hearing um than um the mainstream media will and i think as, as stoke fans you'll know you know stoke often shoved at the end of match of the day there's barely any coverage of them in the mainstream um, papers on the back pages uh, as, as far as I'm, I'm aware I don't see a huge amount of interesting debate about what's going on and that's you're, you're talking what 10th the 10th best club in the UK and it's already uh, dropping off like that so yeah I definitely think that the, the fan media has an important job an important role to to do and these like I'm saying these these people have actually a unique insight into the club they go to all the games they often are in contact with people who are behind the scenes uh, and a lot of them are doing are doing work where whereby they are able to go to like you said you're able to go to press conferences you're able to sit in a gantry and and, and converse with other um, journalists from the for, who are covering the club etc etc so yeah I think in general it's a, it is a good thing do, do you do you think uh, John's assessment uh, is generally true of Stoke as well? Obviously, we've got like two fanzines, a few podcasts, YouTube channel, that kind of thing. Do you do you think that has enabled like a better discussion on Stoke than uh, you find in the mainstream media? Um, I think I, I do find that Stoke City is just a little bit old fashioned in the way that we we do things. When I talk to supporters, they're still very much oh. Well, we listen to BBC Radio. They don't talk like this, by the way. And <laughs> I've only I've only lived in Stoke forty years, and I've, I don't think I've picked up the accent quite, have I? You know. But uh, no, they say, oh, we listen to BBC Radio Stoke, and we read the Sentinel. And and I'm thinking, well, yeah. And they say, well, don't you follow the social? Well, no. You know, I, I I don't. And occasionally I see that fanzine and all this sort of thing. And, and whereas you go to other clubs, they're sort of way off on all this sort of uh, the latest latest tech. I think we're a little bit behind. Uh, when it comes to sort of like uh, moving forward with with social media and all this sort of thing, and, but it, it, we are catching up to a certain extent. I think things like this are, are start you know are happening and whatnot. But um, um, but the other thing I think is is I I try and you, you're talking about sort of like uh, the attention that uh, clubs like us get. I, I try and and compare us to other clubs around us, in particular the one down the road, West Brom. Uh, partly because you know it's it's always interesting to find out what Pulis is up to and and what he's doing in comparison to us and whether he's doing any better. Um, and and people say, oh, you're you're obsessed with Pulis, but you know it's interesting. It's very interesting. How come his side sometimes gets higher on match of the day? How come his side gets the back page? How come this? You know, what is he doing or what are they doing that's different? You know, and um, sadly, um, on, on most cases, they're not doing that much different from us. And that's that's a little bit sad, really. And they're not getting the same sort of attention uh, for quite often the same reasons. And we're not getting the results. We're not making impressions in cup competitions. We're, you know, on the whole, we're not beating big clubs. Although, yes, we beat Arsenal and we got we had our day of glory. Will there be many more this season? We've got United coming up very soon. You know, uh, next week. Uh, but that's what you need to do to to attract any attention. But a few days afterwards, they've forgotten you. You know the back pages. If you, as you say, if you're not top seven, top six, so so maybe raising the visibility 
of the club you know mm. is is something of, of way of kicking on you know uh, we we really do uh, and and when we've got a manager like mark hughes who well i love him to death don't get me wrong you know i used to go to the press conference with tony pulis and uh boy you you know you, you knew you were there you know it was lively but you go to the mark hughes press conferences and you can hear a pin drop you know and you have to listen really carefully because you know he, he he doesn't talk very loudly and rarely gets very animated he did get animated last week actually i, I wasn't actually at the one last week did you hear that one where he was asked about um uh, the similarities between him and Tony Pulis because so uh, this Sky reporter says oh you seem to be going for the same players as Tony Pulis just before the West Brom game you see that was irrelevant and he says, he says she says um, oh yeah you, you seem to be going for the same so you have a lot in common with Tony Tony Pulis don't, don't you agree and there's this pregnant pause and the look on his face is to say oh my god <laughs> and he says well I don't quite see it that way he says <laughs> and then went off to answer a completely different question you know he, he decided not to answer that at all but uh, that was all that was the only response they got for that you know but um, no um, anyway I don't know how I've gone to that but uh, yeah uh, <laughs> we need to raise the visibility certainly of our clubs you know and uh, how we do that well that's that's for the Tony Scholes and, and, um, and, and Mark Hughes's uh, maybe that's one of the reasons why a lot of supporters certainly through social media media want a more charismatic manager who really will attract attention that people really will listen to uh whereas um, but i mean then again you've had crystal palace for example who've had who's it uh pulis pardew and and um sam allardyce and it hasn't really done them much good so i don't know you know having a stable you know say manager like mike mark hughes Mm. Yeah, it's pros and cons. Yeah, I think there's a case to be made that the most interesting thing about Mark Hughes is Tony Pulis. <laughs> he he will not. I, I might not keep that in the edit because if if word reaches Hughes, I think we'll be banned from the club. But uh, no, the no, up, I like that. Uh, I like that. I expected that. I expected the them to be uh, the, the the West Brom supporters because they got a lot of stick from Stoke supporters saying uh, the state of West Brom football complaining about uh, yeah, yeah I wouldn't say what they said but uh, you, you probably know and I expected Albion supporters to be sort of saying to, to, to Mark Hughes <laughs> are you Pulis in disguise which would have been really um, really <laughs> really bad but uh, thankfully they didn't go down that lane they just stood there going because oh, 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 that's what West Brom supporters for you it's, 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 a mu- it's a much lower profile damned United this Hughes Pulis rivalry um, the reason I brought up fan media and stuff is because some people like to look at fanzine th- and things as a kind of representation of an identity of a club. Now, we, we can talk about what identity means in a moment, but uh, the reason I thought of this was I'd seen an article in Duck Magazine about our trip to St. Pauli, and now St. Pauli are a club that kind of uh, have a very distinct and recognisable fan identity. And I was wondering... John, if you think every football club is unique in terms of its identity, or are they just, are they just football clubs in a sense? Yeah, I think the question of identity is a tricky one to come to terms with. Anyway, there's so many different ways that clubs will gather their own identities. So, for example, Stoke City has an identity that it develops from the mainstream media who talk about it in a very specific way. And I know that a lot of Stoke fans will find that frustrating um, when their club is considered to be a certain way simply by people who never watch watch the club. But you also have, obviously, historical um, 
threads that run behind the scenes. The way that the clubs were developed, I think, uh, can be taken up and uh, used as, as as identifiers. So I think you have to be very careful when you're talking about the cl- club identity. I mean, what that generally means is the the dominant narrative about the club, and and there may be a number of those that are, that are going on at any one time. Um, but what I, I do think that we live in a world where we tend to universalize before we particularize. And I don't think that's particularly helpful because I think, again, coming back to my summer break podcast series, what it was that I was noticing, and it's not something I'd really noticed before, actually, but is the fact that actually each individual has their own unique uh, account of how their what their club is, how their club functions and their idea of how football should work. And so obviously when fans are coming together to, to talk about what, what football is, what their club is, you get all of these divergent voices coming together and, and then you will generally get this overarching um, idea of, of what the what the club is. And I find that quite interesting in terms of Leeds United, who the club that I follow, because I do work with one of the Leeds United fanzines, um, the Square Ball, who've been around since the 1980s, 1989 was when they were set up. And they've been developing their identity for all that time. I mean, all, all, nearly 20 years now. And there's a lot of guys who work for that fanzine who are considered spokespersons people for the club's identity and and a lot of that is now that conversation is now carried out on social media and I, I do find it very fascinating because there are there are sort of canon views of, of what the club is and there are anathema views of what the club is and um, actually using those two words may, might not be uh, actually that far away from uh, making a, a salient point which is that you know often the identity of football club is is similar to the way that the identities of religion work as well um not that i want, want to get into that now but you, you, what you have is you have these long-term conversations between very divergent people talking together about what about what what it is their club is what what it is that football is and the result will always be different depending on 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 the histories of the club behind it so I, in many respects I, to answer your question i would say yeah clubs are just clubs but it's precisely because clubs are just clubs that we end up with these different narratives about about what a club is. I think so, sometimes we 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 spend a lot of our time as supporters, almost trying to define what it is. In the old days, we lived locally to that club, and we went along and watched that club because they were our club, and we didn't have to say any more than that. But uh, now now it's almost like we have to sort of have have reasons, you know. Oh well. You know, and that people will tell you their whole life story about why they support Stoke and this sort of thing, and uh, yeah. it, oh, the Victoria Ground, you know, it's and the, oh yes, oh the Botanic Stadium, you know, and why are we changing the name? Oh well, you know, and and the fact that it's you know we've got we had we had um, Wilkinson and, and 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 you know local lad and all this sort of that that means that we're uh, you know a local side and, and and that's good because you go to these other clubs and they haven't got local players playing for and they'll list a whole <laughs> lot of things about why why their their side is. Is their side why they support it? You know, there's something different about our side, or something like this. And um, we will make up reasons why. And it's, it's now important, almost, uh, to to give reasons. I've, I've not, I'm reading a, lot, a, a book called Glory Hunter. Uh, it's just come out. You've you've probably featured it, or you will be. And uh, it's about a fan who 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 has you know been watching the club for 50 years, and and uh, he he can't help himself at the beginning, just like a lot of these other books that I've read about. Uh, uh, people who explain, like Nick Hornby, you know, why they support their particular club, and they they feel that it is important to get that in. You know, in the case of Nick Hornby, it is important because he didn't actually he wasn't actually from North London, I don't think. 
So that's that. You know, he he, he spends pages trying to sort of justify why he can be an Arsenal supporter and this sort of thing. But um, in in the case of uh, you know a Glory Hunter, you know he 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 wasn't from Stoke either. Actually, he's he's from rugby or something like this. So he has to explain why he's a, a Stoke supporter. I wasn't a, from from Stoke originally, of course. I I said I moved here about forty years ago and uh, ran into this guy called Neil Baldwin who said, yes, you should go to see Stoke City. They're the greatest club in all the world. And that's all I really needed. That's all I really needed. You know, the greatest <laughs> club in all the world. They'll win everything. At the time, they were in the second division. Uh, well, the championship is, is now. You know, this is like late 70s. And uh, But uh, he said they were going to be great and they got promotion. I said, oh, yeah, they're going to be great. So uh, I was hooked ever since. Marvellous. Um, <laughs> I'll... Uh, that kind of nature of identity we asked on on twitter kind of what does being a stoke fan mean and we limited it to three word reviews and i just found it interesting that very few of them could be really stoke specific things there were very kind of general ideas about uh, passion pride in your local team uh, and a lot of kind of gallows humor answers about um just depression and eternal mediocrity and things like that. So, um, I like a white blank on the back of my striped shirt. That's why I'm a Stoke supporter. <laughs> I like to dry my clothes while I'm up there because it's so breezy. Um, but it isn't so breezy. Well, I bet it will be. I tell you what. You know, I'm not sure if sealing it in yeah. is going to change anything. It's still going to be chilly up there. Um, other good yeah, reasons. I think the. Uh, I was just going to say. I think the only uh, answer that's unique to Stoke fans is the fact we won the Autoglass Trophy yeah. prize and people cited that as what being a Stoke fan well that's I mean I, I, I got a badge the only Stoke City I got lots of Stoke City badges but the one I, I, I wear regularly is when we won um, promotion through the playoffs there was a badge for that and uh, yeah okay. I've got it and I, I, I occasionally this is, this is from when we got from the old third tier to the second tier god knows what it was called then you know it seems like a long time ago do you think there's a right way to support a football club um and say for obvious examples like uh being a football hooligan or a racist or something is it possible to be a bad fan yeah and i think you know hooliganism and racism are questions about whether it, what it's like to be a bad human being mm. right but when it comes to being there being a right way to support a football club i think we we're now used to trotting out this answer and then there is a there is a point to be had here of course all fans are welcome you're all welcome to support the club in the, any way that you see fit within reason you know um and and it's good that we've got to a point i think in in the history of the game where we can we can do this and i think this touches on what we were talking about before where we were saying it used to be the case that there was considered a right way to support the club because each club would have generally only a right way to support it. Um, if you were from Stoke, you would support Stoke. And then occasionally you'd have a few people who would be from other towns where, you know, for example, Manchester, where you could have support one club or the other. And those sorts of arguments would be had. But of course, there's, there's no right way to support a football club. I, I, I was born in Leeds. I support Leeds, but I left Leeds when I was two years old. So my, my football supporting of Leeds was developed, obviously, when I was away from Leeds. And so I've had to come to terms with the way that I support Leeds. I think that's slightly different to arriving at Stoke and supporting the club. I I, I was very much um, an exile from, from Leeds and, and my whole life has been uh, developed around, my whole footballing life has been developed around trying to get to games and trying to justify going to games when probably I shouldn't have done. But I think there's also a point to be made here 
that actually if I'm finding it, especially on social media, increasing an increasing idea that despite the fact that everyone says, well, you know, there's no right or wrong way to support a club, there are increasingly people who will have will be negative about the certain ways that people support football in general i'm thinking there's two there's two main um qualifiers i think there's the group of people who tend to be into statistical analysis of football which i think generally tends to suggest that you know some players are just better than others based on uh, analyses which will result in various metrics being drawn up and you can say for example this player had a better season categorically than another player and I don't think that's particularly helpful I mean I I think there's a lot of football uh, analysts who know that that, that's obviously not the case but there is the supposition when you when you go down that route to, to thinking that you should like the player who is categorically the best and as a football fan, that's just not true. There is, there is, every football fan likes a player who may be a bit rubbish, or they may like a player who they don't have any reason necessarily for 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 liking. Well, they might like a player because of their personality or the way that they comport themselves on the pitch. So, I think that it's, it's important to to be aware of that kind of thing. The other side, I think, there is this idea that that you know there is a right way to support a football club and it has to do with passion etc etc or being being the right kind of person and obviously that kind of um, idea of being the right or wrong football fan is is problematic yeah i think that's very true i think when um, for example i was uh, i'm going to mention the book again <laughs> going through this book uh, the, the the tweet book of last season was that i chose 20 people to tweet you know their tweets throughout the season and I thought, well, I'm, I'm bound to come across ones where they're going to say things that I think, oh, no, I can't put that in. No, I, they're, they're, or they'll be mean or, or mean-spirited about uh, a player or a person or something like this. But on the whole, I mean, I, 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 I don't think I edited any of those out, really. I just, um, they were, it was very easy to choose, uh, although they said positive things and negative things. I don't think there was anybody who, who went through the whole season saying, Blimey, everything's rubbish and the world's coming to an end and whatever it is and Stoke have lost again and I don't know, or we've won. Well, what's a win anyway and all this sort of stuff. You know, they, people get very negative about wins as much as they can against about defeats. On the whole, you know, they, they were they wanted to say interesting things about their, their club, even if it was negative. You know, even the, the negative tweets were of interest. Uh, and I think it's only when you sort of occasionally get somebody who's, who, who really just wants to have a, just to say something unpleasant about somebody. Obviously that uh, one, that uh, Billy Sharp one, which was uh, very nasty. But, um, you know, the, 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 there will always be people like that. But on the whole, you know, I, I, I don't worry too much about putting Twitter on whether we've won or lost Stoke, you know, because uh, I think on the whole, the people who tweet about Stoke City, you know, have, have always got something interesting to say. Um, and, show, and show the club in a good light as well. Yeah. Um, um, Hence the book. Is... <laughs> <laughs> I won't mention the book again. I can't help Have you myself. got a book out? <laughs> Can I mention this other book I, I mentioned? Uh, it, I've just found it. It's, it's called Glory Hunter by Brian Darling, and it's just out, and the money raised from it goes towards uh, the charity that Lou Macari is doing for homeless uh, uh, people, and uh, it's definitely worth a read. I'm doing a review for it uh, okay. at the moment, and uh, I am thoroughly enjoy reading it. Okay, fantastic. Um, I've just brought up that idea of, of the bad fan then, just because um, there, there was a, a viral video clip a few months ago, I don't know if you remember it, of a, of a Liverpool fan outside Anfield, and he basically just talking about how 
um, basically a load of tourists had come in. Now, John, you you obviously said right, there's probably no such thing as as a bad fan in that people watch football in different ways. But obviously, there is a reaction to kind of tourists at Premier League games. There's a reaction to people who uh, you know like to sit there and have you know the, the prawn sandwich brigade, if you like. So, do you think do you think that backlash is a good thing? Uh, I, no, I, I don't. But I think the question we're asking now is: is there such a thing as a bad owner? Uh, and I think this is where this is the way that football is is going. Um, as soon as owners make it virtually impossible for fans to get to games, then yeah, when you start prioritizing certain fans over others. Then that's that's the problem. I have no problem whatsoever with uh, someone who's f- from another continent entirely wanting to put money into my club, and I'm not. I have no problem with them wanting to visit my club and enjoy being at the match in whatever the way they want to be there. But when it when that comes at, to the detriment of of other fans, that's when I see it being problematic, and that's why I would mention ownership at this point. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, one thing that, that bugs me is that I do meet a lot of people in Stoke who have lived here all their lives, at the same age as me, but they lived here all their lives, and they have sported Stoke through their lives but they generally can't afford to go to these games and uh, whatever people might say about uh, the price of football and the fact that we've frozen season ticket prices at Stoke and this sort of thing it is still uh, an expensive uh, sport because particularly if, if you're in Stoke where, where salaries haven't really and jobs haven't really been uh, premium uh, so subsequently to charge you know what you think is a, is actually a good price compared to a lot of other Premier League sides is is an unfair comparison. And I do find a lot of Stoke fans who don't go to games uh, do feel a bit alienated. And when they hear sort of people going off to St Pauli as well, you know, to, to and and on these trips and whatever it is, they feel even more left behind. And I, I do feel sorry for for them, and I and uh, slightly guilty that I'm able to actually get to uh, quite a lot of games uh, that they're not getting to, and they've they they were watching. Tony Wallington's, uh, they started watching Tony Wallington's uh, Stoke in the 70s, but can't afford to go and see them now. Now they're back in the Premier League. And uh, that, that that kind of worries me. That concerns me more than anything else. So related to that then, I, I want to talk about sort of fan activism for a moment. Uh, we, I've, I've seen examples of fan activism in Britain. Uh, like One example, I went on a, a march at Blackpool against their ownership. But... To me, it seems the kind of fan activism only really happens in a, in a case where you've got a really uh, kind of disgusting owner like the Oystons are. Um, but should there be kind of more general campaigning from football fans on things like ticket prices, things like safe standing and, and more general football issues like that? Yeah, I think... What do I think? I think... I think activism is about is about more than just achieving things, you know. I think a lot of people just sort of think, well, you know, and you said it in 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 the running order, we doomed to be at the whim of Sky forever. And I feel as though, yeah, at this point in at this point in the history of football, it feels very much as though we are doomed to be at the whim of whichever broadcaster is there, whatever owner is there, etc. But I, I don't think that activism is simply about achieving things. Sometimes it's good to do the right thing for its own sake, and I think there's a lot of fans who do go out there and and they have no expectation that what they're going to do is going to change, and that doesn't make any protest um, pointless. Um, but I do think. Yeah, I do think that fans should think about being uh, how they can be more uh, useful. Um, like you said, 
you've got things like ticket prices, you've got things like safe standing. And I think generally um, football clubs tend to have good trusts that are run by fans, obviously fan trusts, who uh, can organise these sorts of protests. And I think those those are very, very useful points of contact between the general fan and, and the club. And I don't know about whether or not Stoke City has one, but we certainly do at Leeds United and they do a really good work uh, integrating, well, inter, interacting between the club and the fans. Uh, and I think that's that's the way things have to go. That, Regardless of whether or not clubs are going to be held to account, they have to be aware of what it is that they're doing when they do things. That's my position on activism. So the club, there should always be activism because I think the club should always be aware of when, the, of when they are letting the fans down. Regardless of whether or not they do the right or wrong thing in that situation, they should be held held accountable in that sense. Yeah, I think the problem sometimes is that, is that fans uh, can take it a bit far and protest about the sort of wrong things and... Uh, uh, they can support a manager that really needs to go, or uh, try and hound a manager out who 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 really should stay. Uh, they can concentrate on on things that uh, other clubs would would would, would think. You know, well, wh- why are you protesting about that? And, you know, I mean, I wrote an article about. Um, oh, I was saying that uh, the, the Britannia Stadium, when it was built, um, was was uh, to house twenty eight thousand people or to have 28,000 seats but it wasn't made to have 20,000 28,000 supporters because the seats are too small you know people have grown you know if you go there you know on a cold day everyone's going to be wearing thick coats and this sort of thing and uh, they'll all be squeezed in like like sardines um but should i make a campaign about that no you know that's that's i'd hope they listen about it and do something about it one day but that's not the most important thing in football uh, so sometimes I find that the fans will complain and, and bellyache and, and start a, a petition about the most ridiculous things and not concentrate on the uh, important issues sometimes. Mm. You, you mentioned there about uh, friends of yours who perhaps priced out of Stoke games. Um, is there is there a reasonable price for a Premier League match ticket? Is there a reasonable price? Well, I looked at the sort of like the Bundesliga um, uh, model, you know, where they offer season tickets, uh, f- some for around a hundred pounds a season or something like this, which is extraordinary. But uh, as as they point out, they've got huge stadiums that are packed out. Uh, there's so much sponsorship in the money. That's where they get most of their money. And I think I did again sort of say this a, a couple of seasons ago. When you actually look at the amount of money, for example, Stoke mm. City make from fans, mainly from from tickets, mm. it's a drop in the ocean compared to. Uh, all the other money that comes in one way or the other so i mean if they drop the prices they'd lose a few million but it wouldn't you know i know a few million sounds a lot now or you know sounds a lot you know to smaller clubs but in the great scheme of things when we're talking about 30 million 50 million 100 million coming in a season whatever it is you know from sponsorship it's it's nothing so but then again of course if stoke dropped the price to sort of like 15 pounds a ticket which I think is is a much more reasonable price for football. I mean, you think about how much Port Vale charge for a day to go. It's, it's like like twenty three pounds, mm. which I think is outrageous. I can't believe a second division side charging twenty three pounds for, for to see them. That should be more like fifteen pounds or twelve pounds or something like this. But they can't drop their prices anymore, you know. And I understand their business model. Stoke can drop their prices, but if they do that, they won't be able to fit everybody in, and they'll they'll end up with um, a situation like they do at other clubs in the Premier League is that fans are knocking on the door to get in they're fighting for season ticket uh, season tickets that just aren't there so I think the price of the, 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 the of, of admission is guided more by that than anything else 
which is a bit of a shame, really. Uh, John, I know you're big into your German <laughs> football. We, we we always hear how much better it is in Germany in terms of being a fan. Prices are cheaper. It's a 50 plus one rule, which means that fans get representation on boards and things. Is it realistic to think that we could import some of these elements? Yeah, I do think that the direction of influence is probably going to be the other way when it comes to German football and uh, the other big European leagues. But one of the things you learn, and you guys have been presumably to, I mean, I know you've been to Germany recently to the football, Dave. Um, mm. But when you watch German football, when you when you follow it to a certain extent, there are so many things about, about the match day experience that they have that are enjoyable and and that all comes from the 50 plus one rule when you when when the voting rights of a club are generally held well, well exclusively held more than half by the fan uh, fans of that club then obviously the the fan experience is going to be better um and and I like that a lot and I like things like safe standing etc cetera, etc cetera. the problem is is that that 50 plus one rule allows them to bring those those um little facets of the of the game in and we don't have those in place obviously so there's there's questions to be asked about how we would be able to for example have safe standing it seems as though obviously we have the whole context of Hillsborough which has understandably um slowed down the safe standing movement in this country uh, but then there are other things about ticketing prices etc that that just don't don't seem to make any sense and you 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 would like to see British clubs moving closer to a, to a German model. What I would say is that, I mean, my experience of Leeds United, for example, this season, they raised their ticket prices. They, they froze their season ticket prices. They raised their match day ticket prices to five by 5%. And when I did a bit of, when I did a bit of number crunching, the club were only benefiting really to about the tune of, and this is, this is the, this is the, the most liberal guesstimate, 300,000 pounds for raising their ticket prices by, by 5%. And the problem with that sort of approach is, is that when you, when you treat the match day tickets like that, the people who lose out are the poorest people. The people who, who have cash flow problems are the people who buy the tickets on the match day, sometimes on the gate, which was, which, which has a five pound, um, tax anyway at Leeds United. So you're looking at, you're looking at expensive tickets anyway. If you are, aren't able to afford, um, to buy a season ticket, then you have to buy them on the match day. Then you're already looking on the match day five pounds extra, but then a five percent increase on that, and it's just unfair. And 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 then you get all of these um, categorizations that take place. Leeds now has an A plus category game, um, for, presumably for when we play PSG, I suppose. But um, it's just okay. it's just unfair. And the people who are losing out are the poorest people, and they are often the people who are have been the fans for the longest and who follow the club through thick and thin. So. Yeah, I would like to see things move towards a German model, but I don't see that ever being viable, really, unless the clubs allow those things to go through. Agreed. Um, just a couple more things before we wrap up, then. Uh, there was a tweet uh, this afternoon from an account called AFC West Ham, which I don't I don't know how serious it is, but it appeared to be uh, like West Ham fans breaking away, forming their own club because they're unhappy with the new stadium with the ownership and a lot of associated issues um now again i don't know how serious they are but we have seen real examples of uh, afc wimbledon fc united of manchester things like that what would it take uh, for both of you to question your support or your allegiance to your own club massimo Cellino? um i don't know i think 
there always has to be moral ambiguity about supporting a club. At the moment, I do struggle. There's a lot of things that I struggle over um, when it comes to even just the idea of supporting football. I'm just reading a fantastic book that's just come out uh, by James Montague at the moment called The Billionaires the Billionaires Club, which is all about the owners from around the world who who use football as ways of just leveraging huge amounts of profit for themselves. And if you can read that book without feeling a little bit dirty about being a football fan, then you're, you're, a, you're a better person than me or maybe a worse person than me. I don't, don't know which way around that works, but I... There's there's huge problem and the problem with the problem with these this this sort of hyper capitalization of football. I don't want to go on about this too much. Is but it's that it increases increases it decreases the arbitrariness of football. And I think one of the things that we love about football is the fact that anything can happen. As a Stoke fan, as you were saying before, you look forward to those days when you beat a club like Arsenal. And um, and the reason why those are great is because you have no right beating Arsenal. Arsenal have spent loads more, more money on their club than you. They've had they've got better players, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. There's all sorts of reasons why that shouldn't happen. So when it does happen, it feels great. But as we said before, it's happening less and less fewer and fewer examples of that are, are occurring and that's what capitalism does the more the m- money goes into the game the more the clubs at the top will be less likely to lose to the clubs at the bottom because they're spending more and more i have a friend who's a man united fan and he the the, the last few games he's just spoken to me and been like don't you think they look incredible and i'm like well yeah they do but i'm not particularly effusive about it because i'm not surprised they look incredible um, but then the the flip side of that is that we then have to try and sell clubs by proliferating narratives because narratives are all about increasing desire capitalism needs people to be spending money on football and so we we proliferate these narratives and so it's it's hard to be a to be a football fan at the the present time as it is before we start coming to ask the questions about things like the world cup in qatar the world cup in russia for that matter um and one of the things i don't really like is how fans seem to be at the only level now which are battling with these moral questions about what it's like whether we should support or or not our club uh, the, a good example of that is Serge Aurier who's just been signed by Tottenham Hotspur who's not particularly nice um, guy by all, uh, all reports but he's made a huge amounts a huge number of homophobic remarks etc and Spurs bought the player knowing this is the case knowing that they have a huge uh, group of LGBT supporters uh, and then they, they sort of organised this dialogue with they're one of their LBGTQ supporters groups and he came out and said oh you know obviously I'm going to use this as uh, as a chance to whatever to to be more and more professional etc and they were like that's fine we're glad that we've had this dialogue but what I don't like about this is that the, the the level at which these questions should be asked should be much higher up the spectrum. The World Cup should we should be we be having these questions about watching a World Cup in Qatar? No, because FIFA should never have got that far that they accepted a bid from from Qatar. Same with Russia, arguably. Same with Serge Aurier. The club could have just not bought him, but they bought him, and then they've made the they've made the fans come out have this uh, arbitration period, and then come out looking as though they've done the right thing, but. Every at every level at the moment, it's it's happening that the only people who are asking these moral questions are fans of clubs, and so every 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 day I every day is probably probably getting a little bit too uh, over hasty, but so often at the moment I'm asking myself the question: What? How can how can you how can you love a football club and yet have it at the background these these sorts of questions? Now I do think that you know there's nothing you can do about it. If you like football, you like football and there's going to be these, there's going to be these uh, problems. But I do think that every, every football fan needs to question 
their support of a club. And I do think there are things that could happen that would make me not support Leeds anymore. And I, 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 I don't know what I would hazard to guess what they would be. But um, if something, if if they were taken over by a an, a, a shake um, and who had human rights issues, etc., then I would. I would certainly think about it. Yes, I think it's a. It, with me, it would be a, a combination of, of of things. Unless there really was one real big issue uh, that, that that could divide everybody. And and um, but I, I I mean when I've sort of I kind of fell out of love with with Stoke in the sort of like late eighties, mainly because I I loathed Mick Mills, who was who was in charge. I just could not get him at all. Um, and he was manager, and, and the, the, the side was bland. He did side one or two decent players, but the side on the whole was fairly bland. Um, and the, the board was bland and uh, argu- argumentative against each other. They just seemed to fall in each other. And the supporters sort of went downhill as well. They became there was there was a lot of violence, and there's uh, I just didn't like going to the games anymore. It, it wasn't a fun atmosphere. It wasn't a game anymore. It it, it just became a chore. So I I, I did go occasionally but I didn't sort of go every week or anything like this I sort of stopped and fell out of love with Stoke uh, quite a lot for some time actually but it was a, it was it was a, a combination of a lot of things and today it's it's a lot as you say about money and perception um, about your club uh, most of the things at the moment uh, are right the supporters are, are great um, the atmosphere is great um, the players on the whole are, are great the manager's pretty good <laughs> A little bit boring, but uh, don't uh, don't quote me on that. <laughs> uh, yes, but uh, oh dear, I wish I'd never said that now. <laughs> but uh, but um, uh, dear, but I was just saying anyway. Yes, but uh, yeah, it's 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 and the board is the board seemed to be uh, fairly stable. It's a stable club, and, and I said I wouldn't wouldn't want uh, our board to be like other boards owned by foreign uh, non local. Uh, companies and and people and this sort of thing yes we've 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 got it good when you when you look at it but if all those start tumbling down like dominoes then uh, that that's when i'd start uh, questioning my support uh, final question then uh, sort of interpret this however you like uh, how do you see football support uh, changing in the future uh, david i suppose that, that uh, at the end of the day that uh, we there's going to be a lot of talk about uh, the size of stadiums and prices and the things that we've talked about uh, today uh is is the model that we've got now correct and 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 how can we develop it i mean we, i look at other clubs like you look at um the emirates and how comfortable that is uh but is there any atmosphere is 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 um you know is it can you get a season ticket easily or not you know and uh are the supporters worthy and all this sort of thing are we all going to move towards that sort of armchair type um football uh i i i dread to think that we are you know it's not the type of football that i kind of really want to see. <laughs> although I, I love going to the emirates you know but it's a day out more than actually a sort of uh, a regular thing that i'd like to do uh, television um, and streaming is, uh, is is something that captures my imagination and will do for the next two or three years uh, as we see what uh, Sky Television do, does to try and um, stem the, the, the tide of uh, illegal streaming and all this sort of thing. Because I think people are getting fed up of the way that Sky and the like show the television and seem to own the television, uh, own, own football and, uh, and how it shows football. Uh, and I think that, that that's probably where things might end up changing. Now, again, this goes back to what we were talking about, is, is supporters. Do we want to throw the baby out with the bathwater by protesting against the way Sky 
uh, show football because if we do they might take the money out of the game and we leave us high and dry and we'll be going you know it'd be like ITV digital for all those who remember those days you know although that was like £2.50 and this is like £50 billion or something mm. like this slight difference you know but uh, yeah so uh, I think uh, how we watch and uh, the, the television rights and uh, will 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 be sort of like the major changes uh, actually uh, things on the pitch no, it'll, it, you know, there'll never be a Stoke goalkeeper playing for England. You know, that will never change. You know, so uh, on that note, I think I'll I'll stop. Yeah, I think that as I was saying before, you know, the more money goes into the game, the more it becomes hyper capitalist. The actually, the more bland it becomes because the fewer and fewer clubs, really, within within reason, can can actually challenge for the top. Now, that may be the may, may, may lead to the case where football fans in those clubs below the top six or seven or however many will become owned by by big players will focus on their own leagues and their own positions and maybe we will have a European Super League coming in to sort that out so that the rest of us can get on with just enjoying football um but I do think that it it just does become more bland uh and and then as we hype up these these narratives you know people just get more and more fed up and we're seeing that slowly happening with as you say actually the viewing figures on Sky TV are dropping faster than the the rates of uh, illegal streams are raising, rising. So there's obviously people dropping dropping their interest in the sport. There's also what a lot of people are talking about this phenomenon whereby uh, the the generation that are coming up, the sort of generation below me, uh, watch their football, consume their football in an entirely different way, which is generally watching clubs like Barcelona, Real Madrid, the best teams, um, and also watching goals on Twitter or social media as they come up or going on Reddit and seeing the goals as soon as they happened. And so not watching the full 90 minutes, which again, like we've talked before about how um, there is no right or wrong way to watch a game, but that that certainly is going to threaten the way that the game has generally been consumed until now. And I think that that's where, where the interesting thing is going to come through. Particularly everything is riding on, as you were saying, the TV revenues and, I just find it impossible that the TV revenue the next time round, the next tranche of revenue money is going to be as high as it has been this time round. And so there is football is going to have to change. Um, we are going to have to come on the downturn at some point, uh, and it'll be interesting to see how football catches up with that. Okay, fantastic. Uh, thank you very much, uh, the pair of you, for coming on and talking. Now, David, you'll be particularly delighted now because uh, I've just got the word plugs written down. So by all means, uh, I think you may have some stuff you want to plug, so go ahead. <laughs> what me? Do you think you talking to me? You talking? You talking to me? I've got uh, yes. What a book! I've got a book out. Would you believe? <laughs> yeah, forty-one shades of grey: the tweet life of Stoke City, two two thousand and sixteen seventeen. Uh, it's got you yeah, in it. I, I'm essentially a co-author now, so thank you. <laughs> yes, you, you you say all the intelligent things. I'll just read. No, I won't read that one. No, uh, there. Uh, no, I can't read that yeah. one either. No. Um, yeah, well, you do say a few intelligent things. Well, I'm sure there's some in there, but yeah. Anyway, it's called 41 Shades of Grey because Stoke only played 41 games last season. That was the lowest number of first-team games they've played since 1906. That's because we got knocked out of the cup that's, really, really quickly and all that sort of thing. That's a worth, fact worth knowing, isn't it? Um, there you are. That's why everyone says, why 40? Why not 50 Shades? No, 41 Shades, you know, only 41 games, you know, so it makes my job uh, a lot easier. So yeah, I just—it's a good thing we yeah, didn't play nine more games, really, isn't it? <laughs> Otherwise, you'd have a copyright issue. <laughs> I would be in serious trouble to think of something much better to call it. But there you go. But uh, no, it, it is uh, a, a good fun. Even though last, in fact, the, the irony was that the last season, although it wasn't the greatest season, 
for tweets I think it kind of was because I think people felt that it was time to get a few things out of, out of their system you know and, and, and say the things that they've been wanting to say for a few years probably including yourself <laughs> I hope uh, I think it's just a product of boredom and beer really mine but um, <laughs> uh, John where but it's a, but it's a, I was going to say, it's available at Amazon and all good bookshops. And uh, No, sorry, go on, off to you. Go on. Uh, uh, John, where can people uh, follow you uh, and a team of John O'Shea, yeah, so, etc.? So my most of the stuff that I write and that I appear on pod, podcast-wise is on my Twitter f- feed, which is at John, which has got no H in it, J-O-N, underscore McKenzie, with an A, so M-A-C-K-E-N-Z-I-E. Uh, that's me, so at John underscore McKenzie. Uh, and then the team of John O'Shea's, which is the sort of podcast that I run we also uh, on our website have um, essays that usually a little bit off off uh, the beaten track for football so we look at we do try and ask the questions that no one is uh, answer the questions that no one's asking as our tagline says I've got that wrong it's a terrible thing to do really when you have a tagline (laughs) yeah we do try to answer the questions that no one's asking so we we we, there will be a few pieces up this week hopefully about the Serge Aurier thing asking about why it is that fans are held to account Uh, and also I've got a lawyer on talking about the way that the law protects footballers so there are a few interesting things there and that's uh, Um and we have a Twitter account for that as well, which is at Tojos, T-O-J-O-S underscore, so at Tojos underscore. What, what uh, the question I, I, I need you to ask, if you say, you know, questions that nobody asks, is, is, is will Stoke City's support surge when they finally get rid of that white blank on the back of their <laughs> red and white shirts? Because it's got to go. It's got to go. I've got a few ideas, but you know, I, I, I'll get some paint and paint it on on all the shirts because it's just driving <laughs> we'll try me mad. I think we'll, even my, some, even we'll, it looks ridiculous. We'll, we'll have a. Um, they should set. They should set advertising space on it or something. I don't know what. It's just we'll ridiculous. have someone from Macron on the uh, podcast next week and just get to the bottom of it. <laughs> damn right! Damn right! <laughs> 